they say two cups are the perfect way to start studying because it actually does allow your brain to really kind of stimulate to help absorb, but as well as your whole body is relaxing. So here we are, still mainly staying in our homes and our own backyards, with many of us finding it difficult to separate family, parenting, and work. One easy way to give ourselves a little break, a nice cup of tea. Whether it is hot or iced, we have you covered in this episode, where we join Charity Kuit, Senior Special Events Coordinator, as she chats about all things tea with Cindy Bigelow, president of Bigelow Tea, a family-owned tea powerhouse located right here in Fairfield, Connecticut. This is The Virtual Quadcast, a podcast by the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio in partnership with the University Events and Community Partnerships team. I'm Carla Natale. Welcome to our fourth episode. We are so happy to have you with us. Thank you for listening. What I'm gonna go over for the next 30 minutes is just a little bit about who I am, a little bit more than what Charity just said, a little bit about my family and how we got started in the tea business. And then I'm gonna talk about the different types of teas, which I find is really very, very interesting and not a lot of people know so that you can share this if you have a tea party with any of your friends. Uh, And then talk a little bit about the health benefits of tea. There's so many, I'm just gonna do top line. I'm not a doctor, I can share stuff Uh, on studies that I've read. I've talked and lectured about the health benefits of tea for over 25 years. And then some fun history of tea. It's got quite a past uh, and some fun facts about tea and then the Q&A. So that is kind of a lot, but hopefully we'll have a good 10 minutes minimum for your questions. So just again, a little bit about myself. Um, As Charity said, I graduated from Kellogg many years ago, started Bigelow, been here for 35 years, has worked through all aspects of the organization. Very, very proud to be the CEO and the president, third generation. And I really try to just keep the traditions of my family, which is about quality and about really thoughtfulness to the employees and the community. And then really kind of enhance things such as our sustainability footprint um, and expand the lines into some very healthful products or continue on that healthful journey uh, and and also continue to build work in the community. So I've been very, very blessed with my 35-year career and love who I work with. I always say they are our family, they're our shareholders, they're the reason why we do what we do. Uh, and I look forward to, to many more years of being able to do this. A uh, little bit about the history of my family. Uh, so it started by my grandmother, Brownstone in New York. I have a picture of her. This is grandma. I think you can see this. This is Ruth Campbell Bigelow. And if you see the official name of the business, it's actually R- R.C. Bigelow. And R.C. Bigelow stands for Ruth Campbell Bigelow. So that's how we were founded originally. The business wasn't really doing doing that well. She had had one product, Constant Comet, which is still the original to this day. And actually, my parents are still the same one, only ones that make Constant Comet, which is very, very cool. But when we first started, we really weren't doing very well. And so she went to a, a store actually in Connecticut that was selling it. And we had an opportunity to sell it like a few jars. And so... She says to the shop owner, you know, um, why were you able to sell our product? And the guy said, well, a woman came in and she smelled it and she liked it. She bought it all. And so she went back, she discussed it with my father. 
they came up with something called the whiffing jar where they reconfigured the case. They put it in each case and they would open it up by the cash registers. People would smell it. And that's literally how we started our business. And I love to tell people that are in the business world that when you get knocked down, it's those creative ways that you get up and, and get up again and start again. And, and that was pretty interesting because we were at that point probably on last breath for being a business. And how it's got its name, she originally sent the recipe to a series of friends and they were in the city and they called her the next day and they said, oh my God, it was a source of constant comment. And that's actually how it's got its name all these years ago. Uh, it then was run by my parents for the last 50 years. They passed the baton to me in 05 when I became the CEO and the president. So it's 100% family owned. So when you drink a cup of Bigelow tea, it is 100% a family company. And we take that very, very seriously. So I hope whatever teas you guys are drinking, you love because we care about each one of our 150 teas like they're a family member. So now I'm going to give you a little quick education on tea. Normally, if we were together, I would ask how many of you drink, you know, green tea or what, you know, what types of tea do you drink? What's your favorite? I can't do that right now. So I'll just start off by saying there are basically four categories of tea in the marketplace. There's other ones as well. We're just going to stay with four, but there's three actual main teas made from the tea bush. It's green, it's black, and it's oolong. And what you have here, is actually a picture of this, what they do. And what they do here, and I, I think you can see this pretty well, they take the top two leaves of a bud, they pluck this. We only use that's plucked by hand. There are countries that do it by machine. And it's how they process it that determines one of three green, black, or oolong. This is the Camellia sinensis bush. And here are some beautiful, beautiful fields that you'll see. I've been very blessed to visit fields all around the world. And the gardens are absolutely beautiful. So what they do is they take these top two leaves and a bud. And it's what they do with it that determines which of these three that they're going to be. Herbal tea has no Camellia sinensis in it. It's made of fruits, spices, and herbs. It's delicious. It's actually what I'm drinking. Lots of health benefits um, to the herbal teas, but they're not the Camellia sinensis bush, which is either green, black, or oolong. And we're going to talk about the health benefits and the history of the Camellia sinensis, or what we would call sort of your standard teas, not your herbal teas. So in the case of black tea, they'll take those two leaves, they'll gently roll it, which gets the juices, if you can see here in these veins, the juices are exposed to air and it oxidizes. That's the process, it's just exposed to air. So tea isn't really processed, um, it's exposed to air, it oxidizes and after about six hours, it becomes like a coppery black. They will dry it, they'll chop it and they'll get black tea. In the case of green tea, they'll take those same two leaves in a bud, they'll either steam them or pan fire them which means there's no oxidation. They're not oxidized at all. And then they'll dry and they'll chop them and you'll have green tea. Oolong is somewhere in the middle. They'll take the two leaves, uh, they'll gently roll it, oxidize it for about three hours, dry it and chop it, semi-oxidized. So black tea, fully oxidized, completely not oxidized and semi-oxidized. And with that, the properties change of the teas. And we're going to talk about that when we, we talk about the health benefits and actually when we talk about caffeine. So as it's exposed to air, the properties of the tea bush 
actually do start to change, which now is going to lead me a little bit to the health benefits. There's so much that I can share with you. I always do like to say, obviously, these are not my studies. I'm sharing them with you. And the other thing is I would not share in you on a health benefit that I at least had not read in multiple studies over multiple years. I think it's important when people hear about the health benefits, anything, they should know where they came from. Was it an established university, et cetera, established hospital, et cetera. And the studies on the tea, green, black, or oolong, have been coming out for, as I said, 30 years. I've been lecturing on it for 30 years, and they're from very renowned organizations. But when I talk about the health benefits of tea, what you need to realize, again, is Camellia sinensis. You're drinking the brew of a vegetable, right? You're taking these two leaves in a bud, and it's that brew that you're drinking. And that's why there's such high antioxidant properties in tea. And again, I'm, I don't mean to be leaving herbal tea out. Herbal tea has a lot of benefits. It's just not the benefits of the Camellia sinensis bush. Each herb and spice has their own health benefits, but that's not what we're talking about right now. So Tufts University did a study on 22 vegetables and tea, and tea had the highest antioxidants of all the vegetables. That is not to say do not eat your vegetables. That is not to say tea is better than you than vegetables. It is just to tell you that tea is such a good beverage to be just putting in your body, and that's important, especially in today's environment. We wanna be healthy, we wanna do things that keep us healthy. So that's really very, very cool. So what I was saying, when tea is exposed to air though, the antioxidant properties change. Green tea is loaded with something called EGCG. You will not be tested on this. Epigallocatechin gallate. So when it is steamed, it's, it's protecting the EGCG. As it's exposed to air, the EGCG reduces. And other flavonoids, Theorubigans and theoflavins, again, no test on this. It doesn't matter. These are just healthy antioxidants. But they come out more in black tea. So there's 10 times more theorubigans and theoflavins in black tea than there are in green tea. But green tea is loaded with EGCG. So again, it's just important to, from a general concept, and I'm going to share some of the studies with you. It's just important to know that you're drinking the brew of a vegetable, whatever tea you're drinking, they are loaded with antioxidants. Um, and even if the studies that I read and some of the information that I share is even half true, I know I am comfortable saying drinking this product is really, really good for us, good for you, which is fantastic. So just a little bit on green tea. And again, there are so many wonderful studies on it, but basically, EGCG is really good at fighting um, cancer. That's what most of the studies have done. There's something in EGCG that sort of inhibits, again, I am not a doctor. <laughs> These are just studies that I'm sharing with you and you don't have to believe any of it. You can believe half of it. You can research it more, whatever you want. Um, but what I have read is that EGCG actually like is an inhibitor for the growth of cancer cells. It sort of starves off cancer. And one of the first studies that I had read many, many years ago was from Columbia University. They did a study that five cups a day over six months, which, well, before this current environment, I would have said five cups a day is a lot of tea. But uh, Charity and I were talking earlier, right now, all of us are drinking about five cups a day. Normally, I would have said, you know, we drink 
one or two cups a day. So five cups a day over six month period, significantly lowered the risk of pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, esophagus, stomach, bladder, breast, et cetera. So it really did show that it is great to help with cancer. Is it a cure? Absolutely not. Is it a good thing to put in your body? Absolutely. But there's so many other studies that again, I don't have the time to share with you, but there are studies from the University of Kansas, the Mayo Clinic, Rutgers, et cetera. There's just so many wonderful studies about green tea and uh, EGCG and cancer. When it comes to black tea, again, many, many studies are, are out there on the health benefits of black tea. Uh, the one study that I like to share is the one by Brigham's Women Hospital, where they had one cup of black tea a day, again, please take that and discount it by 50%, help reduce the chance of heart attack by 44%. That's huge. That is one study. That does not mean it's accurate, but it just talks about how great black tea is for the cardiovascular system, stroke, heart attack, et cetera. And again, um, there's so many studies that have come out um, from Harvard, Vanderbilt, Tokyo Medical University, just so many studies about the fact that black tea is good for cardiovascular. And then oolong, there's not really a lot of studies on oolong, but I always say since it's semi-fermented, it has kind of the benefits maybe of both. So whatever you like to drink, I think you can feel pretty confident that you're putting something in that's really healthy for you and good for you. And that's, again, so important. And there's so many more studies that I just shared with you. Uh, there's a lot of other additional health benefits to tea. Um, and we talked about something, Harvard did a study with tea and they talked about L-theanine. And when Charity and I were talking earlier, people like to drink tea because it helps relax them, right? Charity, you were saying that's one of the reasons why you drink tea. And again, in today's time, it's really, really important to help relax us. Well, there's something in tea called L-theanine. It's highest in tea than in any, uh, any other um, product. And it does two things. One, it's almost like yoga, where it stimulates the mind, but it relaxes the body. And that's why I think a lot of students really enjoy tea, because it actually, they say two cups are the perfect way to start studying, because it actually does allow your brain to really kind of stimulate, to help absorb, but as well as your whole body is relaxing. And what I love about that is so many people will write to us for years and years and years, and they'll say, you know, I drink tea to relax. How could that possibly be because it has caffeine in it? That's totally legitimate. It's because of the L-theanine. It actually does relax the body. The other thing that what Harvard really focused on that L-theanine does is it actually builds T-cells, which is the same thing that takes place when you get immunized. You want to build your T-cells. That's what helps you strong naturally. So what I love about it, again, you're drinking a product that's just good for you, good for your mind, good for your body, good to relax you, good to keep you strong. And we need to Again, especially in today's world, stay strong and stay relaxed. A lot of other studies that I could share with you before I kind of move on to the history of tea, but um, a lot with the brain um, and tea. There's a lot on Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, also things such as arthritis. There's a Swiss study on how it burns fat. And there is a lot of books out on weight loss and mostly with green tea. I don't really know how it works. There's just a lot of books on that. Um, I am firm believer in drinking a lot of tea just for your overall health, and also building strong bones, especially as people get older. 
So the antioxidant properties actually help keep your bones strong. Um, they fight the free radicals in your body. So again, even if you took everything I said and only took 10% of it, um, it is just such a good product to be putting in our bodies. Now, a little bit about the history of tea, which is again, a fun lecture and I, one I've done for a long time. And again, I can't verify or deny supposedly, and there's a couple countries that have a little bit of different stories, but the story that is the most popular is that Emperor Shen Nung in 2737 BC was the one who originally uncovered tea. He was meditating uh, and he was really into sort of medicinal herbs to stay strong. He also believed in boiled water, that it was healthier, which think about that 5,000 years ago. So apparently as the story goes, He's out in, the, um, out in the fields and he's having his boiled water and there's a big windstorm and off from these bushes come these particular leaves and they land in his hot water and boom, he discovers tea and he drinks it and he feels it stimulates and relaxes him. And so Emperor Shen Nung is one of the main ones that are credited with, with the kind of finding tea. And believe it or not, Originally, tea was drank for um, medicinal purposes, which I find so funny because I just went through this whole thing on telling you how healthy tea is. And originally, that's exactly why they drank tea for everything, digestion, headache, nausea. I mean, it was really considered a health beverage, but it was also a beverage just for the wealthy. It was extremely, extremely um, costly. So... Uh, you know, I don't know what that means in terms of uh, today's pounds, but apparently it was really only for the very wealthy. It was introduced to the United States around 1650. And what, the one fact that I always love, fun fact, is that many people originally would brew the tea leaves, um, throw out the brew, put butter on the tea leaves, and eat it as a vegetable. I, I, don't, I, I don't recommend that. Um, in the 17th century, this is another little fun thing, teas had a very interesting past. Sometimes it was loved and revered as this great beverage, and other times it was thought of as like a really bad thing, a bad for society, etc. And this is one of those times. In the 17th century, uh, Dutch women started having these elaborate tea parties where they would drink anywhere from 10 to 20 cups of tea, although small cups, and then they would start eating cake, but then... They would start talking some scandal and then they would start drinking some brandy and then they would start smoking pipes. And there was actually a movement um, to try to ban tea in the Dutch society because it was getting accused of actually ruining the moral fabric of the society. So it didn't have a good reputation then. In the 18th century, it also started having some problems because people were trying to stretch out its usage or sell it and kind of take advantage of people. So it wasn't that uncommon that it would either have um, sawdust in it or gunpowder in it, or they would uh, just sell you leaves that had already been used. So again, it started to cause some major health, major health issues in the community. And then we know the famous 1773 Boston Tea Party, where um, people in our country were very unhappy with the tariffs on tea, so they dumped a ton of that uh, into the uh, harbor, and we know what that led to. Uh, and then in the 19th century, Anna, the Duchess of Bedford, came up with the afternoon tea. And the afternoon tea was something that she did in the middle of the afternoon to sort of 
deal with the sinking feeling. And so she started to serve tea and whatever sandwiches to whatever, get them their energy back. And it really, it took on And afternoon tea is all around the world. Such a major, really sort of ceremony. Very, very cool. And then the last little bit of history to share with you is in the 20th century, uh, in our country, we were the ones that invented the tea bag and we were the ones that invented the iced tea. In the case of the tea bag, um, an importer in New York was just trying to get a sample of tea, loose tea, which is how tea was um, drank, to some of its customers. So he put it in a silk bag and he mailed it off for them to drink. And they thought that's how they were supposed to make it. So they put it in their boiling water and it took off as a tea bag. And today, the majority of tea in our country is by the tea bag. Also, early um, 1900s, we were at the St. Louis World's Fair and there was only hot tea being served and it was like 90 degrees. So the vendor said, let me put it over ice and it, everybody wanted it. And that's how iced tea. And in the United States, in addition to tea bag, iced tea is the majority of the way that we drink our tea. So it's kind of fun that what we invented here is the way that we like to consume it. And then just some last little um, sort of fun facts on tea uh, before we can hopefully in six or seven minutes um, take some questions uh, is the caffeine content of tea. So normally if we were all together, I would be saying, okay, how many of you think that tea has more caffeine than coffee? Certain hands would go. Then I'd say, okay, how many of you think coffee has more caffeine than tea? And other hands would go up. Say, how many don't know? And hopefully that would be the rest of the room. Well, what's really interesting is actually both people were right, which is, what does that mean? Okay, um, pound for pound tea, pound for pound tea has more caffeine than coffee. But you get a lot more cups of tea per pound than you do coffee. You get about 80 cups for coffee and about 200 for tea. So cup for cup, which is how most of us drink our products, it's about half. And again, that really varies on the coffee and the tea. What I like to say is coffee's about, but that's very different depending on where you get it in this size, 100 milligrams for a cup of coffee. Tea is about 50 milligrams for a cup of coffee. And green tea is about half of that. And again, if you remember, I talked earlier about as you oxidize the tea, the flavonoids change, right? So you have EGCG in green and you have theorubigins more in black. So it's, as the, it's oxidizing, it's actually also changing the caffeine content. And as it's oxidizing, it's actually getting more caffeine. That's why black tea has twice as much as green tea. So a lot of people do not know that. You're probably one of the half a percent of the population that understands it. Next is something called Orange Peco. And for a younger audience, um, a lot of you guys are not even familiar with what's Orange Peco. But Orange Peco is often sold. And a tea, when I talk to people who love their tea, they'll say, oh my God, I love Orange Peco. So I would say to you know, the audience, if you guys were in front of me, okay, what does everybody think Orange Peco is? And I hear everything from a flavor to a type of tea to all kinds of stuff. And the reality of it is orange peco is actually nothing more than the size of the leaf. So you can have all different types of teas and their orange peco is the size that's often a size that will go into a tea bag. And so originally when they were saying orange peco tea, that meant that that was the tea bag cut. But 
as years went on, people really were more interested in saying, I only drink orange peco. And then I had to carefully tell them, that's not really a tea. But now you guys know. So if you ever do hear the term orange peco, you will now know it's the size of the leaf. And lastly is how you make the perfect cup of tea. And again, I always like to say the tea police are not coming into your home to, to see if you're doing it right. I like to at least share the right way to make a cup of tea. First of all, you should never start with water that you've already boiled. Again, if you do, it's fine. And you should never microwave it. I'm sorry. And why? Because you need fresh aerated water, you know, out of your faucet, because it's the air bubbles that unfurl, that is what's going to give you all of the flavor and the health benefits, et cetera. So once you've boiled water, it's flat, it's lost too much air. Same thing in the microwave, you're not really getting it to where you need it from that boiling perspective. So start with fresh, cold water. If you want to use bottled water, great. Shake it up, get as much air in as possible. Then what you're doing is you're bringing it to a boil. In the case of black tea, you want to get it to that boil, but you don't want it to boil too much because you're losing that air. You need that air to open up that tea leaf. So when, as soon as you hear that little whistle go, run and boil it. What I like to do is I pour it over the tea bag. I like to let it um, steep with covering the cup so that all the flavor and all the health benefits are staying in the cup and not going into the atmosphere. In the case of green tea, it's too gentle. That leaf has not been fermented. It's a little sensitive. Um, so what you do there is you will let it just start to come to a boil. A lot of people will use a pot and then you'll start to see those little air bubbles. That's when you want to get that. It's a, not quite at the boiling temperature. Then that's when you want to pour it over your green tea. Again, I like to let it steep. Your time of each one is really up to you. Normally, again, it's personal. Two minutes, for um, your green tea and five minutes for your black tea. But that is such a personal thing. I do suggest, and that again is just my suggestion and you do it absolutely you want to do. I don't think you should leave your tea bag in there because what happens is over time, a lot of tannins start to come out and it really does get bitter. And so what I like to say um, some people might like those tannins and they want that it's real astringency then leave your tea bag in there for some of us it gets a little too astringent so I like to really remove it so that's how you make the perfect cup of tea you do not put again you do what you want you usually don't put in any milk sugar ever sorry I'm a tea person so I say it very emphatically um, into your green tea and your herbal teas your black tea you can do either you can add it or you don't have to add it. But um, the black tea needs to be able to handle both. So you need a black tea that you can drink that you don't have to put sugar in unless you want to and also will handle milk. And that's the art when we're buying tea, we're selecting our teas that it can go between having milk or not having milk. I personally do put milk and sugar in my black teas. It does influence the health benefits of it though. It will bind with the antioxidants and it will um, not be as healthful. So I'm just being honest with you. So anyway, that is a little bit on the fun fact side of it. And in general, before we open it up um, to, you know, any questions that I hope you'll have or sharing with me the kind of teas you have, I just want to say that I really appreciate this. I think in today's time, sharing moments with people, uh, talking about something that I love, but also I think that's so good for you. Um, I think really, Charity, your idea of giving uh, people a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour of uh, 
you know, just thinking about something else, thinking about really positive things and, uh, and, and, and creating this kind of community for me, it really means a lot. I know at Bigelow, a lot of us are um, working remotely. There are the plants that are running as it's essential businesses and the leadership team is still in the office, but we miss working with everyone. We miss seeing everybody. It's a little difficult. And so, you know, sharing moments like this, I think are just as important for me as I hope they are for you. So thanks again, Charity, for, for even inviting me to do this. So with that, I'm hoping with our almost 200 people that we have some great questions. We do have several questions. Just since we were talking about the brewing of the perfect cup, um, I will go to one question. Somebody had asked whether the brewing time affects the health properties. Great question. Um, actually, yes. You need to brew them for at least two minutes, probably even longer. I do know, I didn't see studies on green tea, but I did see studies on black tea, and the antioxidant properties do come out more as time. One of the reasons why, although five minutes is strong, uh, and when you go to countries where you're buying your black tea, they like it very strong, that's where the original five minutes was. But it also, as that time um, is progressing, the antioxidants are coming out. You know, that leads me to just a quick thing, though, about naturally decaffeinating. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to share, because some people do like to um, decaffeinate. They're, they don't want as much caffeine. Fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know how to word it, caffeine and antioxidants work opposite. So the antioxidants come out over time. The caffeine comes out very quickly at the very, very beginning. So if you want to decaffeinate naturally, which will impact the amount of um, the antioxidant in it to some extent, actually not that much now that I think about it, if you brew your tea and then you throw out that brew after a minute, you've, given, you've gotten rid of about 50% of the caffeine. Then you put your tea bag back into a new thing of boiling water and you let it steep for five or six minutes. You'll lose some of the antioxidants, but you will, as antioxidants take longer to come out, you'll still get a good percentage of the antioxidants. So that's how you can naturally decaffeinate. That first minute, about 40 to 50% of the caffeine comes out. We have a couple of questions about tea growing. One is, do we grow tea in the United States? And one is why can't we grow tea in the United States? So maybe you could touch on both of those. Well, that's a great question. And there, tea is grown in our country. Um, actually, we have a beautiful garden, 127 acres down in South Carolina, uh, Charleston Tea Garden, but um, has a very different taste profile. And in our country, you would have to machine cut uh, just the way the economics work. When you machine cut, you get a lot more stem. Plus, we don't have the bushes that many of them are 150 years old that are grown in the mountains all around the world. So when they're grown in the mountains, they're hand plucked, they're more mature bushes, they have a completely different taste profile than the low growns from here that do have the stems in it. So for our, what we call our signature line, we will only use tea from around the globe or ingredients from, although a lot of our ingredients are also from uh, the United States, just not our Camellia sinensis. So yes, there are gardens in the United States, a very different taste profile, but some people really love it. You can, you know, try the Charleston Tea Garden Tea and, and, and it's definitely 100% American grown. Awesome, so glad to hear that. There is some domestically. Some other questions we have, there's a lot to sift through here. Questions on re-steeping. So do you want it from, you know, my tea perspective? Yeah, I think that would be a good place to start. 
That's a no. And the reason why it's a no, and I know a lot of people did it, my grandmother did it. Um, it's because the antioxidants and the caffeine, they've all kind of come out. You're all your flavors in that first cup. So yes, people do it, it's great, no problem. But from my perspective, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I just think you've lost too much, lost too much. Sorry. And does having flavor added to tea, like pomegranate or lemon, anything like that, does that alter the health benefits? Actually, that's a great question. Um, and it's a little bit of a different answer than I think you'd anticipate. Many of the ingredients you're putting in are also very healthy, which is fantastic. You really only want a tea bag filled with really good stuff. The problem with particular antioxidants like EGCG, if you do green tea or you do green tea with pomegranate, which is my favorite, and that's how I drink my green tea because I want to be drinking it, and I'll drink three cups of that versus I won't drink as much when it's plain green tea. But when it's plain green tea, there's actually more green tea in the tea bags. I don't need to leave room for the pomegranate. So from an EGCG perspective, the green tea has more. But I'm going to drink three cups of green with pomegranate versus I might just drink one. So it does influence it because it's just less tea in the bag, less of the particular camellia sinensis in the bag, but it should be also other healthy ingredients. And the bottom line is you have to love what you're drinking. That's a great question. I could see how that would make a difference for sure. Um, some other questions we have are related to adding lemon and milk to tea. Um, does that potentially reduce teeth staining or are there any tips to reduce teeth? Okay. Well, lemon in general is fantastic. Again, I have in front of me like a ton of studies. And one of the things when you add lemon to your tea, it really does enhance the health benefits of it. So I'm a huge fan of lemon in your tea. I actually don't drink it that way, but it's really, really, really healthful. In terms of tea staining, I can't answer that because that's not something I've ever studied in terms of if I add milk, and I can, I can look into that. Like I should probably know a little bit more about teeth staining. You know, I've drank tea my whole life. Um, I've never had a white in my teeth, but I do know that that is, people are very sensitive to that, but I just don't have enough knowledge to share it. But lemon and tea is really good from a health perspective. And let's see, we've got, I'll share some of the teas that people are drinking. We have some people drinking Perfect Peach. Oh. We have the Bigelow Benefits Stress-Free. That's what I'm drinking. <laughs> we have some mint. Mm -hmm. um, actually, we have a question about the mint. Can you talk more about how that's made? Absolutely. Well, our mint, our herbal mint, if that's what you're talking, is 100% grown in America, in the mountains out west. Um, so I actually was out in those gardens recently as well. Uh, these are third generation farmers. Uh, it's all uh, non-GMO. Uh, it's beautiful, uh, beautiful mint that we buy. We also buy a mint that is very, very high in volatile oils. That's how it has a strong flavor that it has. And volatile oils are where the health benefits are. So we also know that we are giving you a very, very high quality mint when you're drinking any of our herbal mint teas. We have a, a blackened mint as well, and that mint is also from the United States. Same mint, beautiful mint. Oh wow, that sounds really delicious. Have to add that to my shopping list. <laughs> it's really good, uh, it's, uh, yeah, really good. I've had a few people ask about the um, way to go out about brewing. One of the questions, I'll read you them both so maybe you can answer them together. Um, is there a difference in using an electric versus like on the stove kettle? And what are your thoughts on K-cups? Okay, so as long as you're using cold aerated water, either one is fine. The problem is it's so easy just to reuse your water. It's like 
kind of painful to have your kettle with water, dump it out and start again, or your electric. That's probably, okay, this is in the perfect world. And we, none of us live in the perfect world. So in the perfect world, you, you should always either one have um, cold aerated water. I tend to personally, if it's a kettle, I tend to pour it out and start again. When I have an electric, which we have here, I tend to just push the button and use the same water, just being honest. So that's the only issue is if you can, fresh, cold, aerated water each time. Very hard to do. I just told you, I, I didn't do that for this. Now, in terms of K-Cup, uh, we sell K-Cup, which is great, and I, I really enjoy working with them. They have been very good partners to us. Uh, it's not the same cup of tea, guys. Uh, and the reason why it's not is we talked about two, three, four, five minutes of brew time. We talk about the antioxidant properties coming out. Tea needs to unfurl. Why do you use cold aerated water? It's that air that unfurls. So from a quality perspective, again, probably not for herbs. Okay, it's a different situation. I'm talking Camellia sinensis, green, black, or oolong. It doesn't give you the same experience. It just doesn't because it's flushing that water through very quickly. What we try to do to compensate, just try to put a lot more tea in there so you're getting as much tea. But one of the issues with tea is it's called um, low, medium, and top notes. That comes over time as it unfurls in the, in the boiling water. You lose uh, some of those top notes and medium notes when you go through a K-cup. So we have it, we use it, we love it, we love working with them. But from a quality perspective, not for herbals per se, but for your Camellia sinensis, it isn't the same taste profile when you finish. You should try it. You should be kind of fun. If you have a K-cup and a tea bag or this similar, you know, have fun. Try it. Thank you. Um, some personal questions for you is, what is your favorite classic Bigelow tea flavor? Where's your favorite place to drink tea? And are there any coming out that you're excited about? Okay, favorite. How can I say a favorite when I have 150? That's poor like saying I like one kid over another. I only have two. Don't worry if they're hearing me. I love both the same. So where are my go-to teas, though, to be honest? A lot of green with pomegranate, uh, Earl Grey, of course, um, Classic Comet, and Lemon Ginger. Those are my go-to teas that I drink pretty much all the time uh, of my signature. You're asked about the classics. We also have a, a, a benefit line um, that I love. That's where stress-free is. That's where calm stomach is. That's where radiate beauty is. I drink those. Those are uh, mostly all herbals. I think one of them has green tea in it, but uh, I drink a ton of those, maybe at least three cups a day of, of those. In terms of new things coming out, we actually do have a new line coming out, but I don't think... I'm allowed to say what it is just yet. I think I'm, it's a little early, but we have a beautiful line coming out is all I will say. We'll have to have another tea party and I can tell you all about our new line. I'd love to, love to hear about it. I'm excited that there is something coming up. Oh yeah, always, always here, Charity. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I do love how innovative Bigelow Tea is. There's always something new or something different for everyone. Yeah, it's really kind of fun. We're—I have to say—it's really fun that we are. Uh, you know, I've been doing it for so long, and yet we always have such—you know—we have the pipeline filled with such great ideas and such great products. So the thing about us is, though, and I, I understand I might sound like a commercial, but it's truly really who we are. Um, we won't launch anything unless we absolutely love it. So it, I always say to the team, it's not about being better if we're 
if, if a competitor has the same thing that we're launching, it's not about ever being better. It's about being fantastic. And so it takes us a while to come up with teas that we truly love. So that's really important for us. We have to love each one, not just like it, but love it. So going back a little bit to um, the right way to brew teas, is there a certain amount of water that you should be using when you're brewing your tea? Yeah, that's a really great question as well. And I don't follow that rule either. It's designed for eight ounces. I don't really know if anybody drinks just eight ounces anymore, right? So usually it's 10 or 12 in my opinion. I think when you start getting to 16, you need two tea bags, I'm sorry, which is no problem. I throw in two tea bags. So, um, but it's usually, I'm gonna say, the tea bag has to stand up to 10, at least 10 ounces, maybe 10 to 12. After that, it needs another tea bag in it. But the standard is eight. It is hard to stick to just eight. <laughs> I, I, uh, away, right? <laughs> Another question we have here, and we have so many questions, I don't think we'll have time to get to them all, but I will share them with you okay. uh, later well, on. Well, first of all, thanks for the questions. I love that. I think that's great, and it, that makes it more interactive. Wonderful. We, got, we have over 40 questions that have come in. <laughs> okay. Um, how about the shelf life and whether it differs between loose or bagged tea? There's such a difference. I can't even begin to tell you. I mean, shelf life is everything. What makes tea flavorful and healthy, and that includes herbal, is the volatile oils. You need the volatile oils for the flavor and the health benefits. If you expose it to air, the volatile oils dry. So the taste is impacted and the health benefits are impacted. You have to protect your tea. So loose tea, you need to have it in a big foil container, maybe keep it in your freezer. You've got to stop it from losing the volatile oils. The reason why we have every one of our 2 billion bags in this particular overwrap is there's no way to protect the volatile oils otherwise. So why would we scour the, the world for the best ingredients and make sure they're as fresh as possible and then get them in here because then they can last, believe it or not, in this container and no other, no other package that we've tested in for at least 10 years, we've seen if we can get an alternate package to this, nothing protects it um, as this does for up to three years. So this is how you keep a fresh cup. That's incredibly important, incredibly important. If you have something that's in paper or in a bag or whatever, within a, by the time you get it, the volatile oils are already missing. Big, wow. big, big, big no-no in, in our world of tea. Wow, wow, wow. I, three years. I can't yes. imagine having, having well, two. Well, that, if I, yeah. like, I open this constant comment right now, like, oh, I can smell it and I'm just looking at the packet. I love that. Yeah. One. The reason why it smells and it's so beautiful is because it's in this package. You would lose all of that in a short period of time. So there's a lot of ingredients in here that we're trying to protect. This is the only way to do it. There's, there's only one way, this material. I'm going to go ahead and end with one question that somebody had asked and it's self-serving because I have not figured this out myself and I'd love to hear how to do it. What is the best way to make iced tea properly? Oh, that's so great. We make iced tea here all the time. So I'm going to tell you the way that we first make it um, personally, because I think it's a very convenient way, but it is not making the necessarily the picture. But what we do here at Bigelow is we will take one or two flavors of whatever we want 
and we will just pour maybe four ounces of boiling water over it and we make like a brew like we let it steep for like four minutes and we just pour it over ice and if we need a little more water unbelievable that fresh brew is the healthiest you're going to get there has been no loss of antioxidants into the air so it's fast it's easy literally pick two tea bags one tea bag whatever you want a little bit of boiling water let it steep five minutes, pour it over ice, add more water if you need to. You can keep varying the iced teas you have. They're completely fresh and totally loaded with the antioxidants. Um, so that's how we make iced tea here all the time. Believe it or not, for me, I also do a lot with our herbals, not with our Camellia sinensis. Um, I actually would just take a glass, 16 ounces of water, put two herbs in it, and let it slowly uh, infuse into that water. And I love that. That's a lighter product, but I didn't have to do anything. Didn't have to boil anything. So I'll take two raspberries or a raspberry and a peach, put it in the just cold water. I haven't done nothing. 16 ounces, uh, two tea bags, and I watch it unfurl. And believe it or not, it actually gets so strong after a certain amount of time, I keep adding more water to it. So that's another great thing that we love to do. Really, really easy. And then the last one is, of course, one tea bag per six ounces of boiling water. So whatever your pitcher is, six, whatever that is in six ounces, you put those tea bags in there, you pour in um, your boiling water, six ounces per tea bag, no matter how many you're gonna have, and you let it brew for five, maybe even 10 minutes at that point. Pull your bags out of there, put in the refrigerator. I do like to say it is important to drink it within a day only because you really want to make sure you're getting all those antioxidants. If it takes longer, it takes longer. So those are three ways that we enjoy sort of the cold brew or the iced tea tea bag. Really easy, really flexible. I love, love that. that. I never thought to just put it in a glass and set it and forget it until it's ready. <laughs> and it doesn't take that long. You watch it start to unfold within five minutes. Within 10, you're like, wow, that's really strong. I mean, I put two tea bags in there, but it's 16 ounces. It's delicious. I love it. That amazing. It's going to be very warm here in Connecticut this weekend, uh, I heard on Sunday, so I think I will be making my iced tea. Yeah, I'd love to hear about the combinations you picked too, which I love. Again, I do that for herbal. Black tea does need the boiling water to unfurl, or green teas. Awesome. Definitely going to try it. Thank you so much. So even though we have almost 50 questions now, that's all the time we have for questions right today. Maybe we'll get a chance to do this again later this summer. Um, Cindy, we're so delighted that you could join us and share all the information about your company and the history of tea. And I know that all of us tea lovers, both beginners and experienced drinkers, definitely learned something new today. Wow. Well, Charity, I love the idea. What a great thing to do. Uh, thank you for including me and uh, yeah, it's, uh, we need to do more of these kind of things. It's wonderful. And again, if you want to do something again this summer, we can have an iced tea party. We'll make different types of iced teas for everybody. How's that? That sounds amazing. All right. Thank thanks everybody for your questions and thanks everybody for listening. And I hope you had a nice almost hour. Yes. Thank you so much. And okay. we'll see you all soon, Bobcats. Check out the virtual pod. We'll see you there. Thank you to Cindy Bigelow for participating in today's episode. This show is produced by Quinnipiac graduate student Michael Bachman, executive produced by David DeRoche, Quinnipiac's Director of Community Programming, and hosted by me, Carla Natale. I'm the Associate Vice President for University Events and Community Partnerships. To learn more about our range of podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can subscribe to any and all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other apps. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. 
we'd love to hear from you. Please send us your feedback, questions, and episode ideas at qupodcasts at qu.edu. To learn more about Quinnipiac's virtual events, visit qu.edu slash virtual quad. Thank you for joining us on the quad at the Virtual Quadcast. <laughs>